Hello and welcome to the Super Show. I, today, am your host, Alex Jones, and I'm joined, as ever, by my awesome co-host, who uh, I'm, uh, right now, looks like he's rocking a pretty sick top knot with the way these guys microphone positioned <laughs> and tear slick back. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about Jamie. Hello, sir. How the hell are you? I wish I had lush, long, thick enough hair to have a top knot. The reality is I've never grown my hair out in my life because I thought I'd look like Kurt Cobain. The reality is I just kind of look like a slightly scrubby version of John Lennon, um, which isn't advisable. Um, I'm only doing this because I am slightly unwashed and unkept at the moment um, as a result of a... Uh, put it this way, Jonesy. I've been I've I've been fresher on podcasts in the in the past. It's been a pretty rough couple of days uh, to start the week, work wise. Yeah. Busy, busy. Hey, being busy is being good. Um, but we've got a bit of a special show tonight. Um, not that special, but a little bit special. Um, usually, obviously, we go live on Mondays. Today is Tuesday. You may ask yourself, why have they waited an extra day? It is because Jeff Keighley had his opening night live for Gamescom in Germany, um, a place which we have been to before, and Jamie's been a couple of times live in person. Unfortunately, we're not there this year. Um, but we thought we would uh, watch the show and then give everyone a rundown of what we saw there, what was cool, what we liked, what we didn't, um, if there were any big announcements off the bat, I'm going to say it, it was not the best show you've ever seen, but hey, at least it gave us some news because it has been pretty quiet um, the last week uh, up until yeah. Night Live. Um, but hey, that's what happens when you've got a few months ahead of you, which are going to be rich with gaming. Um, so it, not every week can be a banger. That's just not how that works, is it, Jamie? No. Not every week can be a banger. And as we learned today, not every show can be a banger. Like I can remember during the summer, we sat there after PlayStation had their first showcase for a few years. Obviously, Xbox and Bethesda did their thing. Ubisoft had an all right show. Nintendo had that pretty decent direct with that uh, new Super Mario Brothers game in it. And I remember us thinking, coming out of all of those shows, how can there be anything left for fucking August? It's like a month or two away. And it turns out we were right. Uh, there wasn't <laughs> much left for August. Although, in Jeff Keighley's defense, he spent a lot of time on Twitter in the past week keeping people's expectations in check. And now we know why. Also, I think I need to change the way I think about these sorts of shows because up until um, like it, the last few years, it seemed like when there's a show, there's a big deal and you're there to like get all these amazing announcements. But actually, Jeff Keighley is at this point almost just put himself as the the like opening, like the compare for these shows and to be the, the face of them for the world. And actually, I suppose maybe we shouldn't expect like big reveals and everything. It's more like a welcome to the show let's get the show started and that's you know gamescom in its entirety or e or e3 or whatever that may be or summer game fest it yeah. doesn't have to be like these big shows that are always revealing stuff but we're going to run through things that we saw anyway um and we are very glad that you could join us uh, live or if you're indeed um, watching the recorded version of this i'm going to give a quick shout out to some of our um our illustrious guests who are joining us in the chat uh, over on youtube i'm talking pastor's kid kerry baldino uh joel snifflebox rodrigo and hooded dude and al ashley who just wants to play some gta 6 jamie um uh, so does bill clinton apparently so <laughs> so does bill clinton uh we are the super show pod we're at super show pod on youtube and twitter we are available on all major podcasting platforms i'm talking spotify itunes google podcasts and you can also catch us over at paisleyradio.com thursdays at 10 p.m repeated on mondays at 10 p.m um uh, or you are uh, my um, Okay, I'm going to do something unprecedented, and I hope people stick with us. 
usually we would cover a story and then we would push on, do a bit of a shout out to some of our Patreons, the people who support us. But because we're going to be going through um, the uh, Gamescom first and it's quite lengthy, I'm going to give a shout out to the Patreons now. I'm going rogue, Jamie. I'm, I'm going rogue. Right? Fair enough, mate. Um, Write your own script. <laughs> Absolutely. Jamie Benningfield, this podcast is unwritten. These are not my... I don't remember the words that song. Was it was an invitation to something. All right. I'm it was, and it, for the record, it's, these words are my own. These words are my own. Yeah, and then she busts out some names of... Staring at the blank book before you. Or something. Um, yes, I would like to give a shout out to our Patreons, our patrons, I always get that wrong, who support us over at yeah. patreon.com forward slash super show. Uh, without these guys, we you know would not be able to do this every week, um, week in, week out. So I would uh, like to uh, mention some of those awesome people right now. You can see some of them on the screen their names are there for you to appreciate and to thank for helping keep this show going i would also like to uh, read some out and give a shout out to aaron cameron athletic gravy brimstone cole k ice knob rock salt jesper camden nielsen leo Merger, mindful pig mr anthropic pastors guild and the big dogs the members of the board i'm talking brett z aka shellshock geometric potter hacksaw agreed manuel guerrero and peaswad um, thank you everybody for supporting us thank you for keeping the lights on um, I'm also going to give an extra shout out to Pastors Guild who while supporting us through being here in the live supporting us through Patreon has also given us a uh, $2 super chat so uh, mad love oh, shout out to, to the pastor uh, thank you so much um, also Shellshock and Magni hello welcome welcome thank you for joining us on a Tuesday who knew that could even happen um, and it's a little bit later than usual as well so there we go I reckon, Jamie, we should yeah. hop straight in to um, Gamescom and then we'll have a little chat about what we've both been up to. We'll do a catch-up after Gamescom. How does that tra- How does yeah. that catch you? I like it. Like I said, you're the Natasha, Bedding- Natasha Beddingfield of this podcast tonight, Jonesy. You're just going to fucking steer the ship and I'm going to follow your lead. Nice one. Nice one. All right. Um, unsurprisingly, of course, we were uh, treated to a little bit of Starfield when we first opened up the show at Gamescom. Um, we even had some lovely piano playing the uh, the theme, I guess it was, uh, for Starfield. Um, and then we were treated to a cinematic trailer, which was uh, covered by the Elton John song Rocket Man, which I can't say without thinking of the film um, The Rock by with, um, what's his name? Oh, with, with Nicholas, Nicholas Cage. Cage and Sean Connery. Yes. Hang on, that took such a weird U-turn. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Oh, you were talking about Elton John, Rocket Man, a, a song that you can't talk about without thinking of the film The Rock, as opposed to Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic. What's going through your head? I, oh, you do not know this film, uh, The Rock, as no, well I as I do, obviously. Um, maybe there are some people out there who are screaming at you right now, Jamie, who are annoyed at the fact you don't get the reference. And that's because there is a scene in which the Candyman, the actor who plays Candyman, and also plays a num- that sort of old dude who rocks up in a number of films to kind of tell you yeah. what. what the he's he's Venom, right? In Spider Man, t- in the upcoming Spider Man 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is, isn't he? He's the voice. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think he is. I can't I don't remember. Know. I think he's Tony that. Todd? Something like that. He's, he's been around. He's been around for a long time. Anyway, he's been around. He's in the film The Rock. He plays one of the bad terrorists and he is about to kill, or he wants to kill Nicolas Cage. And he goes, and he's got some, uh, he's got a knife and he goes, you know how this shit works. And then Nicolas Cage says, he's holding the evil juice that they have in the rockets in The Rock. And he goes, do you know how this shit works? And then he says, do you like the Elton John song Rocket Man? And to which the guy says, 
I don't like soft ass shit. I know this film too well. And then Nicolas Cage says, because you're, it's you, you're the rocket man. He pushes a button, launches a rocket, hits him in the stomach, launches off into the air, and he's died. Okay. I think that justifies your connection between the film The Rock and the song Rocket Man. I don't think that diminishes my argument that most people would associate the song Rocket Man with the film Rocket Man. All right, but that's that, I saw that film when I was the prime age to have it lodged so far in my brain that anytime someone says Rocket Man, but it's, it's the Elton John song Rocket Man that I said that made me think of it immediately. That's my fault. That's my yeah. fault. It was a confusing series of events. I apologize. At this point. It's late. It's 10 o'clock. It's dark. I'm going slightly crazy. We've just watched a two-hour show uh, to do all the research, to list everything in real time, to come and tell the fine folks. I'm now going to have to interrupt myself again because we've got another super chat. <laughs> this is from Pastors Guild again. Uh, $10 super chat. Say, hello, mates. Quick question. How much do I have to give in um, dollars to get you to start a monthly segment to give us a list of games that are coming out that month? Um, Pastors Guild. I'm going to say now, you don't have to give us any money for that. We will just start doing it. I will make sure that we have a list of games uh, on the first podcast of the month where we say what's coming out. Not every someone, Someone did not take their business studies GCSE. You, that is a prime example, Jonesy, of what we in the business like to call leaving money on the table. Happy to. We are. I feel very supported by our... Uh, our lovely patrons, and especially our Pastors Guild. Um, yeah, no, that's a good thing. We could definitely add in. Why the heck And not? considering my answer to the question is $5,000, <laughs> I think we have to split the difference, call it 2500 and um, we've got ourselves a deal. Awaiting that super chat, Pastor. I'm, ch- I'm trying to be more businessy. I don't know. I've on Twitter now, I try and do at least one news story a day that I actually put out on the Super Show Twitter. I'm trying to be really good about these things. You're so such I'm, a cuck, man. I'm as getting soon there. as Elon turned on the revenue taps, you were like, oh, I might start tweeting once a day. <laughs> we're you not just monetized. Want, you, just, you just want an email that says, oh, you've been sent 0.7p <laughs> this month, then you'll be happy. We don't even have a tick. Can you get money if you don't have a tick? You pay for the tick and that enables you to get the money. That's the grift. That I'd love to know the calculation of how how many views or how much exposure you need in order to cover the cost of the tick, because it's probably like a ridiculous amount, like ten good, million. Good, yeah, that's a good question. Views or something just to cover the tick. Anyway, I mean, <laughs> some people made some decent money in those first rounds of um, of payouts from Twitter. That's all I'm going to say. I did see. I saw a couple of people talking big bu- big bucks, and then I saw a couple of people being like, "I got ten p." Like, yeah, all uh, right. That's us. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, let's get back to Gamescom. Uh, we're going to actually divert uh, divert a little bit away from Gamescom because there is a little bit of news um, in relation to Starfield, uh, which is obviously everyone's waiting for. It's like two weeks away. Uh, I think we said two and a half weeks away. It's super exciting. Um, I can't wait to play it. Um, but um, I've not even had the chance to properly read this story, Jamie. Well, why don't you give us a rundown? Do you, me to, do you want me to do it? Yeah, I just thought it would be funny to talk about because like... This, I don't know whether it's just my algorithm, but this dominated a lot of my social feeds in this past week right. where there was a bit of discourse, as the as the gamers like to say, about the Starfield title screen because it leaked. Obviously, we've passed that kind of press embargo where all the cool journalists and hip YouTubers have been allowed to go to Twitter and say, hey, just so everyone knows, I'm playing Starfield and you can read my review on this date. Of course. Um, and yeah, so inside all of that, we got the title screen. And I mean... There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I think it's just it's just a little bit plain. It's like a shot in space of like this giant planet, and then there's a small 
uh, menu off to the side that's kind of in the style of the UI. It's pretty much exactly what you'd expect. Maybe a tad sparse, but absolutely nothing noteworthy whatsoever. Unless, of course, you are former World of Warcraft director Mark Kern, who tweeted a screenshot of the tile screen, Jonesy, and suggested that not enough time had been spent on it. Do you want the quote? Yeah, go on. This is actually one of a number of quotes. Starfield start screen either shows hastily shipping deadlines by a passionate team overworked or a team that didn't care. Um, one person... Well, actually, I'm going to take that back. A number of people took umbrage with those comments, but one person of particular importance that decided to vocalise their uh, disdain for the comments was actually Bethesda's head of publishing, Pete Hines. For anyone that watches, like... Uh, Bethesda's shows, especially going back to like the E3s of 2015 and beyond, you'll recognize Pete. He's hosted most of them. Um, he went on to Twitter to respond saying, quote, all they designed what they wanted, and that's been our menu for years and was one of the first things we settled on. Having an opinion is one thing. Questioning out a developer's care because you would have done it different is highly unprofessional coming from another, and then in sneer quotes, dev. Um... So yeah, this guy's this guy's kind of been shit on, but he, uh, as of I think last night, is refusing to uh, back down and is not deleting the tweet or anything like that. Um, he's deleted a lot of the arguments he's had with Xbox, as he calls them, or as people online call them. Xbox. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Xbox. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was a funny uh, little tidbit as we, as us regular folk, just wait to be able to play a fucking video game. Um, the powers that be are arguing about the title screen. I'm checking it out right now because I hadn't seen it. Um, in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I hope this. What do people say? I hope this doesn't get us banned. I'm going to sh- I'm going to hold it up to my camera in true uh, crappy wow. fashion and see what you, you know what they say when in the YouTube handbook. Why edit anything when you can just hold your phone up to a camera, baby? Okay, do you know what? I'm going to tell you for why we do this live now. That's why, baby. I don't need to edit this. I we do it live so that we don't need to edit it. Okay, this is the Starfield start screen. Let's see if. It works. Wow. I mean, it kind of works. It's it, it, it's it's it, it's like, you, you know, when um, something leaks for the first time and you think to yourself, how come everything's, every time something leaks, the first person or the only person in some cases to film it seems to have done it on like a 480p <laughs> like camcorder from the year 2000. Like, how is a camera that, why is it every time a UFO is filmed, it's from a camera that doesn't even exist and isn't even commercially available anymore? Like, we've got 4K slow-mo cameras in our pockets via our phones, but someone whipped out the Sony DV- DVX tape or whatever to film a UFO. That's what that was. Do you know why? It's because they're not why? UFOs. Da, 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 da. Anyway, here we go. They might be. They're UFOs, I suppose, but we we have to play Stalin to find out. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna critique his thing right now. So the little box they have that says "Welcome to Starfield," thank you for playing. We're really happy. You don't need that. I think they could have got rid of that. I think that cheapens the overall aesthetic. Oh, we're not having this conversation. I actually like the planet, like with the the you know the the uh, starlight and just the Starfield. I think it's clean. Um. I don't mind that at all. And also, what's the thing about, like, if the contents is really good, you don't necessarily need a flashy cover. I don't I think yeah. those, um, I think it works. I think it's fine. I, I agree with the comments that have said, like, st- step off candy pants. If they wanted to do this and they liked it, why not? Yeah. I mean, people have been quick to point out what the Skyrim title screen looks like, which is essentially the exact same thing, except it's a completely black background that just has like a silver version of the Skyrim logo front and center and nothing else. Um, yeah. So there you go. Don't judge a book by its cover, as it turns out, folks. 
Also, but I think so with like box art and stuff like that is different. And you know, if you're putting art out there into the world, that's different, sure. which they've done a lot of work on. But when you're looking at a start screen for a game, I think it's already, you know, been decided that you're going to play it. So I don't think they're, they're worried that someone's going to quit and take it back because they're like, didn't like the start screen. So you, right. can, do you can do what the hell you want, I guess. But yeah, there you go. Um, but Jamie, some people, um, are going to love to play Starfield. I don't. I don't know how much more I want to go into each of these things. We didn't really get to see anything extra for Starfield. Um, that's the thing. Gone. Yeah, we got like to see. The, sorry, go on. I was, well, I was going to say that's the weird thing about this August slot, this late August slot, which is that if you've got a game that's coming out this fall, let's say basically between now and December, you can maybe announce a new feature or a new character if you've got a roster or a new. Whatever, whatever, you can announce some part of a game, but it's a difficult time to announce something unless you're really you're having a very short marketing run-up or you're announcing something for deep into the future. And so a lot of these trailers that we saw today, a lot of the videos that we saw today, a lot of the packages that were put together were kind of just reminders, like one of those things that make you go, hey, just in case you'd forgotten, this game is coming out, please set some money aside for it. Um, yes, you know, there, there are there are lots of games that we're going to talk about over the next hour. You know, spoiler alert that you and I are looking forward to and have plenty to say about. But in terms of what the actual content was, as far as opening night live is concerned, it was like a story trailer or a cinematic trailer or a reminder of the release date or you know what have you. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it. A lot of them are. Um, don't forget this game's coming out. Don't spend all your money because um, you're going to want to. You're going to want to play this. Uh, speaking of money, I'm going to have to take one more aside because we've got another super chat uh, coming in from Pastors Guild again, um, who said that uh, he's going to have to start working. Wait, hang on, hang on, Jonesy. Is it for twenty five hundred dollars? No, it's for five dollars. But he says uh, he's going to have to start working the streets uh, to cover the twenty five hundred dollars that you're talking about. Don't co- don't don't do that. We'll just do it. Like I said already, I'm the bad businessman. I've heard that if you go out to Dubai and let them do some things to you that you might not want to tell your parents about, you could probably make that $2,500 pretty darn quick. I would I would love to do a whole show on Instagram models that have been that have like either come out and said about or other people have revealed about like the, the weird uh, getting paid for weird shit because I find that yeah. fascinating. It's fascinating, but I think... For as much as I did just kind of make a joke about it, apparently it is also getting a bit problematic. Oh, because, is it? Well, because they're like shitting in their mouths and then people are coming back as like, you know, hollow, broken individuals. And I think there have even been some suicides connected to people who have oh. returned from Dubai or um, the UAE or wherever and um, implications that perhaps there have been suicides connected to some of the acts that these people put themselves through in return for payment whilst in Dubai. If you get a beautiful human to come and agree to do things to you or, or let you do things to them for for money, I think you better spend it on a psychologist if your first thing is to shit in their mouth. <laughs> I think you've got, I think you need a little bit of work on yourself. Uh, maybe take that yeah. 50 grand, pay a professional and say, why do I want to shit in this beautiful woman's mouth? Exactly, and and hey, this isn't kink shaming. Like this is just this is. If anything, we're advocating for mental health here. And I just want to step in and say to Pastors Guild that before you board that plane, before you take that flight, you know, just put your mental and physical health first, and don't necessarily let someone shit in your mouth uh, uh, just because they ask. 
try it's, some sometimes it's a power play like that's what uh, john mcafee used to get off on he used to just like shit in people's mouths it's a power play uh, you're right it must be that it must be what it is what's the yeah. line everything's about sex except for sex which is about power that's the line there you go, you go. yep what's that um that's uh, that's a shakespeare it's a that's a king lear I, I don't know i've just heard it i've probably heard a i probably heard a tiktoker say it jamie rather than reading mm, it from Jordan Peterson himself. <laughs> get your bloody life together and stop shitting in people's mouths. I bet he would advocate for getting your life together and stop shitting in people's mouths. Um, someone who did a bit of a power play, let's move on from Starfield, um, was the stage invader at this year's Gamescom who yep. didn't wait until the end, uh, as you're supposed to do if you look at last year, was it, no, was it Gamescom or was it Opening Night Live? I can't remember. Where it was, no, it was the Game Awards because game awards, um, sorry, game awards. Elden Ring had just won Game of the Year and that, that was the was big it. finale. That was the big finale. And he just slid on, slid on, sidled onto the stage. No, this person, whoever he was, uh, went super early, literally after Starfield, um, before they'd even finished Starfield, to be fair, invaded the stage and yeah, just started saying, what I really want to play is GTA 6. He didn't want to play Starfield. And it was rubbish it was one of the worst stage invasions i don't think this guy is to the level of bill clinton i've yep. I'm, I'm just calling him bill clinton i don't know the kid's name that came on I, I we should know his name because we were watching him on a podcast the other day he, oh you could you, you read name three books three books name three books i give you a name three books you have read i'm 15 are you a little are you a little see I guarantee you the guy who went on stage today, or in fact, I think there were two of them who were on stage today, are never going to live up to that guy's legacy. Although, no. I've heard rumour on the Twitter that these guys were kind of known German stage kind of runners. Right. Whatever you, I don't know what you call them. Stage runners is maybe giving them too generous a nickname. Stage invaders. Cool. Stage invaders, yeah. Uh, so, snakes. who knows? Maybe they're German celebs. Any, any Germans in the comments will have to let us know. Uh, yeah, it was a bit random and it was rubbish as well. Don't invade the stage what? to bug Jeff to say GTA 6. I, I want to play GTA 6. We all want to play GTA 6. Go on there and say something of interest if you're yeah. going to say anything. Jeff has to spend enough money on Hideo Kojima's flights as it is. He can't afford <laughs> extra security because Kojima only flies first, baby. You made the observation that Jeff does need to work on his, his security because um, it's it keeps happening. So they do need to do well, something. Yeah, I, I understand. You don't want to. You don't want it to look like a fucking football match where you know you've got fat fifty-year-olds in fluorescent jackets, you know, standing around the edges really? of the. Yeah, exactly. But, but at the same time, you can't just have like free open-plan seating and steps up to a stage uh, and sort of put faith in the fact that no one's going to do it because increasingly people are, and the more people do it, regrettably, the more people in the future are going to see that as an invitation to do the same or an opportunity to get five minutes of fame or to say something about Bill Clinton, whatever their agenda is, um, they're going to see that as an opportunity. So def I think Jeff needs to be careful. I don't know what the solution is, um, but needs to be careful, just in case. I think one of the problems like is... One day, some, like, at the moment, it's, it's, a, it's funny, but one day someone does something that's not, you know? They need to have... That's not. No, yeah, absolutely. They they need to be, maybe put a couple of big old steps in between the stage and the crowd. So at least when they start the climb, they're like, I'm going to climb up. And then, you know, security can quickly yeah. nip. Or <clears throat> maybe the next time they do a show in the United States of America, Jeff Keighley could just be armed uh, with a firearm. He could just be like like legally carrying a holstered firearm. It just says at the beginning of like the Game Awards, I just want everyone in the auditorium to know 
I am literally, I have a weapon on me. I have a an active loaded firearm on me right now with live ammunition loaded in the chamber. No, no. Come no, on stage and see what happens. Beanbag gun. That's what it needs no, to be. No, I, I want a beanbag. I want, I want Jeff Keighley to be fully packing heat on the stage of the Game Awards. And and, and I want him to shoot someone. Not wow. on camera. That's that's morbid. I would I, never advocate for that. But I, I, I think he takes them out the back and gives them a bit of a kick in after the show when it happens. He was livid. Like he was, you could tell because he was, he didn't immediately like move on from it. He was like, oh, well, don't do that. Why would you do that? Oh, you know, oh, people are here to enjoy games. And he kept talking yeah. about it. But then he did You're get so, to have a shame. So disappointing. So disappointing. He was disappointed. Uh, but then he got to talk to Todd Howard. So that sort of cheered him up a little bit, which is, <laughs> which is nice. Um, the uh, first sort of global reveal uh, then happened, though, which was very cool um, because it was Little Nightmares 3 uh, from Bandai Namco and Supermassive Games. Um, I must admit, I haven't played one or two, even though I've meant to so many times. Um, I th no, that's not true. I have played a little bit of the first one. Um, yeah. But they're kind of freaky. They're kind of spooky. And I don't know if I could actually stick with them be without getting a little bit freaked out, even though they are not that. They're not like jump scary, but usually there's a couple of jump scares in there, isn't there? But yeah. Anyway, what what was your thoughts on this? You, uh, I kind of have the same relationship with the series as you do, but I think it's it's interesting that they're still moving in new directions as a series. I mean, where they talked about integrating uh, two player online co op now for the first time, which is weird because in my memory of Little Nightmares two, that kind of had elements that I associated with co-op gameplay but clearly never actually ventured into that and also I think when you watch the trailer it's clear that in sort of like in terms of the art direction and some of the environments the player's going to be exploring in this game they're pushing things in in a new direction mm. and I think it's really cool that like the like you know Bandai Namco are, Bandai Namco are out here publishing like this kind of neat indie horror experience that is now carving out its own kind of space in the horror genre has a lot of fans like you know our own uh, friends of the show uh steph murphy and i think chris and chris as well like fans of uh so steph certainly fans of both games i think chris was a big fan of the first one um so it's it, it this was just one of those ones where it's just neat to see that it's still going and i'm glad that um they got to make a third game yeah no absolutely um i was a little bit the way that she emphasized co-op uh, that's going to be online. I was a little bit like, oh, can't we have some couch co-op as well? Um, but I'm, you know, I mean, maybe it will be couch co-op as well, but just, I don't know, the way she said via two-player, via online co-op, I'm always a little bit like, oh, can't we just have couch co-op uh, too? But we'll see. Yeah. Ideally, you want the best of both worlds where you have it, right? You'd think that you could do these days, especially a game like this, you'd think that they could implement uh, online or local, but hey, maybe. what do I know? I'm yeah, not dead. We're not. Yeah, we're not game developers, as we always make clear with our comments. Yeah, it may be horrifically more difficult to, um, you know, try and work and make it <laughs> to a uh, couch co-op game. Um, exactly. They they also announced the uh, release of a the Sounds of Nightmares um, podcast series, which is, uh, I believe, the first two episodes are live now. Um, so if you're into Little Nightmares and you fancy checking that out, there's going to be six um, episodes in total. Um, yeah, maybe have a little listen. That might be quite quite fun i don't think i'll be doing it because the last thing i want to hear is a spooky friggin podcast like yeah. directly blasted through my ears plus I, I don't know about you jonesy but i still haven't kind of taken that plunge into what i presume are kind of like narrative-led podcasts I um the same yeah yeah because i any. i remember listening i listened to another podcast a gaming podcast and they were sponsored for some time by a series of i think marvel podcasts that would 
seemingly telling stories about Wolverine. And I just, one of those weird situations where I don't know where the line between podcasts and ends and audiobooks begin. Do you know what I mean? Is it like, yes. because this was never actually printed as a novel or a piece of literature and it was created specifically for a podcast platforms, we can call it a podcast. And because there's no book, it's not an audio book. I don't know. But so that they that has been an ongoing thing on radio for a long time where they have narrative stories that they do like live. And I guess it's the podcast version of that, but I, those sound really weird to me. So I don't think I'm going to yeah. be hopping on like, the band. Here in the UK, we have like soap opera radio shows that have been on the radio for decades. Yeah. What is the, there's one called like the, the, the art, is it the archers? The archers. Yes. The yeah. archers. They always talk yeah. about whenever ever someone mentions that kind of thing, the archers comes up. Um, I've always wanted to see how they do that though, because when they do the sound effects, they have to like do them themselves as they go. In. Yeah. Good news though, Jonesy. If you did want to catch up on the archers and started, uh, I don't know, in the next couple of days, you'd only have twenty thousand and sixty-one episodes to catch up on. What? <laughs> what do they I'm talk about? Well, it's just it's a soap opera. It's like watching Coronation Street or or Emmerdale, but it's it's all audio. Oh, but they okay, but Emmerdale can't have twenty thousand episodes. Like, what the hell do they talk about? Hey, should we should we find out? I don't know. And for the record, uh, we're, we might be getting in deep here in British soap opera territory. Emmerdale has nearly ten thousand episodes, nine thousand seven hundred and sixty. No way. Okay, Coronation Street is the yeah. longest running, yeah, isn't it? So how long? How uh, many episodes has Coronation Street got? Do you, do you want to take a guess while I look it up? Uh, I think it's got maybe twelve thousand. If it's if it's you're you're, you're really close. Yeah, it's eleven thousand. Wow! But it's worth noting that um, unless I'm mistaken, the Archers, the radio one, uh, predates all of these, which probably is why it has twenty thousand episodes. That's uh, that totally makes sense as well, I suppose, because it's you know it's on radio. It doesn't have to be on TV. It started in wow. 1951, uh, so that is a very old piece of fiction. Not like the sounds of nightmares. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, well, okay, check out Little Nightmares podcast <laughs> series if you want. Something maybe which, check out The Archers. I don't know. Maybe. But if you want to go back further in history, Jamie, um, Journey to the West that featured uh, Monkey, the Monkey King, that story, yep. is coming to video games, um, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, because Black Myth Wukong, um, a game which I really like the look of, and I, I like the story of Journey to the West. I thought it's been very cool for a long time. Uh, we had a bit more of a uh, trailer for that. We saw some new footage, um, which was released, that showed off some more sort of boss fights, some more of how that game's going to work, some of the combat. Um, that game looks banging. Like, I'm so there for that. Yeah, totally. It looks really cool. And like it, it, it's one of those games that... I don't know if I ever fully put it in the crosshairs, but I think if you glanced at it you'd be forgiven for thinking it was one of the poster childs for one of the things that we've talked about in recent years on this podcast which is this idea of you know a very small or like potentially independent developer with a relatively low budget you know downloading or, or beginning to work with unreal engine 5 and creating something that looks very luscious and very shiny and very attractive but is you know you know as you know, it's sort of paper thin that like there's nothing actually to it i think what's cool about black myth wukong is it's been around for so long now we've kind of been watching it grow into the game that it appears it's going to be over the course of years and now like you said the kind of the environmental variety the enemy variety the bosses on display combined with you know the visuals and the action that have to be fair looked pitch perfect pretty much since day one it just feels like it's gone from proof of concept to game kind of before our eyes in a way that's really cool and now I think the only thing left, really, for something like Black Myth Wukong is 
to come out and be good. And I know those are the two of the hardest things to do in game development, to come out and be good. Um, but if it nails it, then yeah, we, we, we could have like a really, really engaging and exciting entry into... Again, you and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye on this, but what I interpret as an entry into the kind of the from software inspired lineage of hardcore action games. The only reason I don't I, I disagree a little bit is because um I sort of read up on the game um after we first saw it because I was sort of really excited about it and I thought it looked wicked. And just and some of the things they talked about with the mythology, I couldn't quite see working as well with like a FromSoft style game. There's a lot of things about like uh but I'm, I'm probably totally wrong. It's, do you know what it is? It's more hope because I'm right. not that good at FromSoft games. So I'm hoping for a little bit more of an action game, a little bit less FromSoft, a little bit uh, less um, inv invincibility frames and, you know, rolling and all this. I want it to be really? a bit more of an action uh, fighting, you know, a little bit more forgiving, let's be honest. Um, I do yeah. have a little bit more info from um, uh, this game, this coming from IGN uh, for Black Myth Wukong because um, they had a, a hands-on. And I saw this earlier in the week, so I'll just give you a couple of the main points which I saw, which I thought sounded cool. Um, it's going to be a semi-open mission structure with multiple paths. Uh, your main weapon, as you, we saw in the game footage, was a uh, golden cudgel, which is a staff which kind of changes. You know, it can be short, it can be long, um, it can change form, and you can use it in different ways. Um, Monkey's going to have three combat stances. It's going to have a smash form, a pillar form, and a thrust form, um, which you can and you can change stance on the fly. Thrust is not that dirty. Sounds dirty, doesn't it? I was going to say, they all sounded like stances out of the Karma Sutra, but go on. Um, it's uh, pretty typical in that you're going to combine light and heavy attacks to form combos. Um, you can also build focus. There are spells that you can use. And one of the things that Monkey actually can do in the mythology is Monkey can transform. So and I, th I believe uh, he can change form into like almost effectively anything he wants, but he can also make every hair on his body turn into another version of himself to sort of like confuse oh, enemies and things, but he can change into like a, a, a bird and like fly off if he needs to. Um, so there is so much rich lore for this game to really lean into, which is one of the reasons I'm excited for it. And I'm glad that it seems to be coming out and is not like what we said at the time it could be, which is an Unreal Engine 5 bit of vaporware. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see this coming out. Um, Absolutely. Next up was Killing Floor 3. Um, not my cup of tea. I tried to play Killing Floor before and I was like, no. Yeah, I, I, this is one of those ones where I'm not even necessarily sure. I can't remember if this had been announced prior. I wouldn't be surprised if this maybe had been announced in some other way, shape, or form before the show, and maybe this was just another reminder or an update. But it was, I'll put it this way, in a show that was full of games that I was very well aware of and had very much on my radar, this was one of those ones where I was like, oh, Killing Floor 3, okay. I can't remember. I'm, I'm pretty sure this was a thing, but it was nice to be reminded. I think I've just looked, I've quickly looked up, um... I think it says it was the reveal trailer. So it might have been mentioned or we might have known it was coming, but it actually, no, no, it was announced. It was announced at Gamescom, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, that's why it wasn't on my radar then. That explains a lot. In that case, yeah, I guess that's why it's noteworthy. I mean, realistically, this was one of the few kind of, you know, announcements worthy of discussion, announcements of note in the entire show because so much of it was working with, you know, already announced or pre-established titles. Like Killing Floor is a cool concept. It is something I can I can totally get why people are behind. It's I think it just I, I tried to play it a couple of times and was like, yeah, this is just yeah. So uh, people also need to bear in mind that you're the guy that doesn't like Left for Dead. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely that's very true. Don't take my word for anything. 
<laughs> Trash opinions. We say it every week. Jonesy doesn't like shooting thousands of monsters. Okay, the, 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 this is we've established this already. And I don't like numbers coming out of heads. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a list of these things Josie doesn't like in video games. A Bible. Bible. Uh, no, I could take a Bible. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm saying we create the Jonesy Bible. Oh, the Bible. Things you don't like. like I was trying to think know. of a game that had the bi the Bible in it. I was sort of struggling for a sec. Is there a game? That's actually you've now stumbled upon an even more interesting. Far Cry Five. Does that have a Bible? I mean, it's definitely implied to have a Bible in it. I'm sure. That guy walks around, John Seed or whatever the fuck his name was, must walk around with a holy book every now and then. But maybe it was the Quran all along. Dante's Inferno, that's got to have a Bible in it, surely? That's, that's hell. That's, that's another fantastic shout. Um, I'm sure it does. And I'm sure it was used in some very strange way where somehow Dante gets his hand on the Bible, turns it into a shotgun, but it's also a shotgun <laughs> that shoots out the decapitated heads of screaming <laughs> babies. Yeah. You know, Dante's Inferno. Um, we had our first uh, non-gaming guest in the form of Zack Snyder um, who seemed a little bit I don't know he seemed a little bit funny when he first came up he seemed like he wasn't quite sure what he was up to but then he soon got into it uh, he was there to talk about his new uh, movie Rebel his new Jesus movie <laughs> Rebel Moon that was harder to say than I anticipated uh, and to show off the trailer um, which yeah no looked fine it was a sci-fi um, so going to be a two-part Netflix um, what do you call a two-parter? Not a trip. What duolo duology? Got no idea what that would be what? called. Um, I don't know. By, I like two-parter. By pick two-parter. There you go. Um, and we also had the announcement that uh, with Super Evil Megacorp, Megacorp, there is going to be an accompanying game uh, for Rebel Moon. So we'll have to keep our eyes open for that and see what that's going to be like. I guess. Zack Snyder, yeah. go on. What should take? On Zack Snyder in general? Or? In general, yeah. He, he, he seems like a totally likable dude, and I think he's made a lot of films, the sensibilities of which I can kind of get behind. I've liked some of them more than others, but in theory, they all should have been right, right up my street. And I have, at various points in my life, had a lot of time for, I'd say, 300. Um, I have, at times in my life, had time for Watchmen. Um, I think that the whole... You know, you know, the whole arc that he went through with, with, with DC was a bit of a mess. Um, not least like for for lots of different reasons. And I kinda 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 feel sorry for him in many respects, and that I, you know, do genuinely believe that Zack Snyder didn't originally, talking about the Justice League specifically, get to make the film that he wanted to make. Um and I'm glad that they were able to loop back around and that both for his sake and the Snyderverse fans' sake that something happened there. But absolutely none of it was for me um the original interpretation of the justice league none of the Snyderverse stuff was for me i think it's also really important to note that i thought that batman versus superman was a legitimately bad film i never saw man of steel um like so i really just didn't buy into that whole thing and that has meant that like zach the zach snyder of the last however many years the last 10 years with the exception of that zombie film with batista that i i didn't see on netflix army of the dead something like that um, oh yes yeah I didn't actually watch that film in the end I did I heard it was alright um, it was fine but like it, special. It, it, it just it just meant that like everything's the, the waters have been a little bit muddied and so whilst the trailer for Rebel Moon didn't really do much for me like I think 
we talked about it while we're watching it live when you draw from that many different inspirations and you can see so many different you know ips and ideas and movies and comic books and from all these different sources in one place at one time it doesn't matter how unique or original what you're putting on screen looks like when it feels derivative that kind of makes me switch off a little bit and so i didn't feel like i was watching a trailer for like a big budget new sci-fi well not necessarily brand new ip um but like new to the big screen um and that's a bit of a bummer but i hope the finished product is stronger than it's showing at the moment i think i largely agree i would happily put the uh, dc Zack snyder stuff in the bin and just remember watchman and 300 which i absolutely love both of those um yeah i've lovingly dubbed uh, rebel moon the foundation of john carter star wars digimon um because that's what i, I felt are the inspirations for this film Yes, and I think also that just because I can see it written down in front of me, we should probably clarify for the people at home, both watching and or listening, that when Josie says Digimon, he's referring to the actor Digimon Hunsu, not the animated cartoon Digimon. But I don't know how to Digimon. say his name, so I call him Digimon because I don't know how to say his name. But he's in he's in like he's in so many like Marvel films and like epic films, and he pops up in everything. If you want to make a cool film, he has to be in it because you need him to say something at some point because he just has such a cool voice as well. Like he's the dude yeah. in the very end of Gladiator who like buries the little um, models and says, "I will see you again, but not yet, <laughs> not yet." Yeah, he's got a cool ass voice, cool. man. He's got a great voice. He's a great actor. He's um, a very good actor. Yeah. He's, he was like yeah. the, one of the only good things in the island. I think he was in that film as well, I think. So, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. It's funny. Was it was it last week that we talked about Alita Battle Angel? Yes. I, 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 think, I yeah, wonder if... Week, yeah, yeah I, recent, in recent weeks anyway, I wonder if Rebel Moon is... Uh, obviously, it's not going to be quite the same thing because it's a Netflix film, which will helpfully help it by and large um avoid the box office debate because you know people won't have you know massive box office numbers to compare it against but i think there's going to be an element of elite battle angel here which is that there's going to be a very vocal portion of people who are adamant that rebel moon is not just a good film but probably a better film than a lot of other people are going to try and make it out to be and that it deserves a sequel and that it deserves its own cinematic universe and that Zack snyder continues to be the director of the people um, but you know, I, I, I'm going to wait and actually uh, watch the film before I actually go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's interesting that they've made a two-parter because obviously the thing with Netflix seems to be, which can be horrible, is they make like a season, and if it doesn't do well, they just don't make yeah. a second season. Um, or yeah. and, and if it does do well, they make a second season. But if the second season doesn't perform as well or better than the first season, they just cancel it. And it's oh, it's infuriating when you find something which isn't perfect but you kind of love and could totally come back uh, you know, to, to being as good as his first season. And then they just can the whole thing. It's, it's horrible. So the fact that he's actually got two Rebel Moon films out the gate is, is pretty good going. I guess it's because it's Zack Snyder. They're like pretty confident. Um, yeah. But hey, we'll have to wait. That's good going. I wonder if maybe they filmed them at the same time and kind of like kept costs down that way. Because it was a real weird one. Do you remember like when June came out and it was it was very clearly June part one? Mm. But at the time they were like, oh yeah, we need to see how this does before we know if we keep going. And there was a very real chance that we only got half of June. Um, and so in that sense, yes, I'm very glad that the Rebel Moon story is going to be presented uh, unfiltered and unadulterated across the two uh, films. Yes, no, me too. Um, we then got to uh, see Ice-T, who was hyping up some Payday 3. Apparently he's a fan. 
uh, and he's looking forward to the heist game coming in September 21st. Um, mm. I'm not a big payday player either. This becomes a big thing with me on these sorts of shows. Is I'm not, I don't often play, and that'll be me for half the show. Uh, but payday looks pretty wicked. I do like the fact it's stuck around. I like the fact that it's number three, and I like the fact that Ice T likes it. Yeah, and because I, I, Ice T, people who follow him on Twitter will know Ice T's a legitimate gamer. Like he, he, you know, he's not a you know fake gamer. He's not. He doesn't play pretend. Like he, he actually cares about this stuff. And I uh, don't get me wrong. I'm sure plenty of money uh, or an appropriate amount of money at least changed hands in Ice T's collaboration with Payday Three. But at least he kind of knows what he's talking about, right? I, I, it's the opposite to with Zack Snyder where I think Jeff said a few like three or four times because you're a gamer aren't you you like games and he's like yeah and I thought no he's not <laughs> whereas yeah. Ice-T at least actually is which is exactly. yeah, which is good yeah. um, we then got to see another little trailer for uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage which isn't long away now October 5th um, again this was another one of like don't forget Mirage is coming um, but to be honest the more I see of that game the more I'm excited for a old school feeling Assassin's Creed title I think yeah absolutely no I I, I think you're far from alone in that like there's it's, it's 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 fascinating watching the pendulum swing back that other way right that we keep going down this route further and further through um, Origins and then Odyssey and then culminating in Valhalla where people just said like look we don't want 60 hours of content anymore we don't want this beast sprawling open world that we could never possibly imagine seeing all of give us a you know a a a concise and finite area to play around in. Give us a story that could be consumed in around 20 hours. Don't get us bogged down in gear systems and unrealistic ability trees where now every single Assassin's Creed protagonist has to basically be a superhero so players have something to unlock and upgrade and work towards. You know, powers have been replaced almost entirely by gadgets. We were talking about how Baghdad looks like, you know, a really kind of like a classic feeling Assassin's Creed setting, even if it is technically new for the franchise. Um, Basim's a cool character. He's got a cool story. If you do get into the AC lore, it's got a lot going for it. And the other piece of news that I think emerged in the past week or so is the Assassin's Creed Mirage release date moved forward. It was originally October 12th, is now October 5th, having officially gone gold. Gotta say, um, obviously Ubisoft's Assassin's Creed track record has improved a lot um since uh, <laughs> uh 2014 for example um but it's always encouraging when a game goes gold like well over a month before release and then the release date is brought forward um not suggesting it's going to be a flawless release things can still go wrong but it's it's you know it gives you some confidence right it's nice it does and you've got to imagine that after teams have been you know for years games have been getting bigger and baggier and full of more systems and become more complex maybe to pair it back and actually to get sort of to the core of a game and just concentrate on narrative and, you know, maybe a more limited environment and, and a more linear approach even to open world games. You've got to wonder if actually that's what's happened. And they've said, wow, we we finished this game in great time and we totally, you know, met our targets and we can bring the game forward, um, which is a, yeah. a great place to be in. Yeah, be absolutely. Interesting to see how Ubisoft come off the back of this because if it does very well, it gets received well, sells well and I'm, you've got to assume the budget is much lower than they would like a normal mainstream um, Assassin's Creed game maybe they like push back and say do you know what this is where we need to be thinking like you know pair it back don't be going as don't go bigger 
But yeah, we but know they've still got three games already in the pipeline, so maybe they're that's the thing. I, I I think the more realistic outcome, if Mirage is an overwhelming success, and there's a vocal majority of the Assassin's Creed fan base that wants it to be the kind of the the blueprint going forward, I think what we'll see is that they'll still make Valhalla like experiences, but they'll also make Mirage. I think we'll kind of we'll have more that kind of yeah, exactly, and that's what the whole kind of Assassin's Creed Infinity kind of like hub for lots of different sized experiences there was that you know not even rumor we know it exists the the assassin's creed game that's not the next one to come out but the one after that the clint hocking um of far cry 2 and watchdogs legion fame is working on uh, that is apparently set during like the witch hunt the witch trials oh yes in europe and stuff like that, that's meant to be like the most un-Assassin's Creed-like Assassin's Creed game ever made, like that could easily be a 20-hour experience, and that might not be that far away like relative to where we are now, so we'll see. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and to be honest, as long as they're trying stuff, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that. Like, it's, good. it's good when a company doesn't get like, bogged down in this is how it has to be done to actually try stuff with an IP. It's, it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. Um, well, it often is, but... <laughs> <laughs> The um, one of my most fun announcements, oh, my the things that I found the most fun was one in the next announcement that we're going to talk about is Tekken 8. Um, which it was not an announcement, we've already heard about Tekken 8, obviously. Um, no one's going to be surprised. Uh, there is a story mode, as everyone knows, uh, or as you know, might may well be expecting in, in Tekken 8. But something that we didn't know was coming, Jamie, um, was a new mode called Arcade Quest. Um, which I think even after the devs talked about it and described what it was. We were both sitting there scratching our heads saying, I'm not really sure what they just said. How are they combining story and arcade? And they even said, we want to give a generation of people who um, never got to experience Tekken in the arcade the ability to experience it like that. To which I was <laughs> yeah. wondering, that's interesting. How do you bring the arcade experience into someone's house thinking that maybe it's something to do with time? Maybe it's something to do with the way that you play the game, like couch co-op sort of thing. But no... It's a cutesy little avatar mode uh, where you can customize a character who walks into an arcade in the game, but who looks like a Wii Muppet or whatever the hell those things are called, and sits down <laughs> at an arcade to oh. play to play uh, Tekken. I really wish Nintendo could roll the clocks back and call them Wii Muppets. Um, that would be the dream. Um, but they should have called them that. They should have called them that. They're called Mies, I think. Um, That's it. Of course they are Mies, yes. <laughs> but Wii Muppets is pretty good. But you're right. Like um, When they were talking about wanting to give people that arcade-style experience, your brain can go a lot of different places, uh, even to more cynical places. Like, is this their way of saying they're going to include microtransactions where you have to spend 50p per game or something? <laughs> like, oh, wow. Oh, Imagine. The old-school arcade experience of having to put money in every time you want to play. Oh, How many God. credits have you got? That do you know what? Can, maybe we shouldn't. Well, I get, no, we wouldn't. We we're too small to get in trouble. We should do like a uh, like a prank thing on our Twitter and tweet out that Tekken uh, is going to have a mode in it where you have to pay fifty p every time you want to play to to, yeah. to give back the young to give Gen Z the option the uh, option to experience what it was like to play in an arcade. Yeah. Uh, that that would be so fun. Some people probably even get so hungry to get angry, they'd probably get caught up in that as well. Um, but you're right. Going back to what this actually is, 
it is this really like a, yeah a bizarre choice to add like this meta layer to a traditional arcade mode in the fighting game and like it it makes sense in some respect like um uh, you know the, the we, we talked a little bit when we were watching this live about uh, uh about street fighter and about how they have this kind of like story mode where you create a character but you actually explore you know the, the 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 city that Street Fighter set in, and and meet other fighters and so on and so forth. But there is also an element where you take that same avatar and go into these essentially kind of like digital versions of lobbies, and you can walk around and you can emote and you can challenge people directly to a fight in that context. Mm-hmm. The problem is that makes some amount of sense, as you pointed out to me at the time, because you're creating a fighter and you're going into these fights and using your custom avatar in the actual fights themselves and leveling them up and so on and so forth. The meta layer here sees you creating an avatar who is the person that is going to then play the game. So are you walking around like a digital arcade, seeing someone? Are you doing like the floss as an emote and then challenging them to a fight? And that fight then sees you to walk over to a virtual arcade machine and then just playing Tekken anyway? Like, it's I, I want to see. I don't know, but yeah. I... I may be, I'm going to be totally wrong here. I want to say at one point as well, at the end, they showed off uh, like unlockables and, you know, down, um, costumes and stuff your avatar can wear and skins. And I want to say that one of them looked like was a Ken from Street Fighter outfit for your Wii Muppet, which, I, which I'm not sure if you actually, maybe I must have just caught a glimpse of it because that'd be very weird, obviously, to have a Street Fighter character in Tekken. But yeah, so you can customize your, your avatar, but you can also customize in the arcade game that you play yeah. Tekken, yeah, it's, bizarre. it's kind of bizarre. Um, maybe it's amazing. Maybe it works really well. Which being mean, mm. we don't and get it. But. AI learning apparently, some AI learning model was was referenced in in and amongst all of this weird mess. Yes, which is going to be, uh, I think, is going to start to be the the uh, phrase of you know, I don't know, phrase of the year. Maybe next year when every games company starts to talk about AI learning and AI integrated, AI this and AI that. Um, which would be interesting. Yeah, yeah everyone's going to start to talk about how they use chat GPT in every single bloody game, but we'll have to see. It's just mods at the moment, but soon it's going to be every game. Um, we then got to see a trailer for Modern Warfare 3. It was the first um, Modern Warfare trailer we've actually been able to look at. Uh, coming from Sledgehammer Games, drops November 10th, which is obviously not very far away. Um, and I think as you were saying, Jamie, at the time, this is an incredibly quick turnaround to take a game which was supposed to be uh, it's supposed to be DLC, wasn't it originally, um, or an expansion? Um, yeah, that was the reporting. Like some kind of the Activision have continued to argue that it, it ever was planned to be an expansion, but no matter how you look at it, something very strange happened here. Um, simply because this is the uh, if you just look at the facts, this is the first time like since fucking. Call of Duty, well, this is the first time ever that Call of Duty year on year has made a direct sequel to the game that came out the year before. Infinity Ward are obviously not on the scene anymore. Sledgehammer stepped in to make a campaign, but Treyarch had to step in to make the zombies. Um, and also, the every single multiplayer map, and I'm not suggesting this takes no work, but every single multiplayer map is a remaster of an older one. So, like, there are lots of little tidbits here that suggest that this did come together as quickly as it looked like it came together from the outside looking in. 
which is odd as well because they said they 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 said in when they were talking about the game that uh, there was a lot of questions and 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 you know story points laid down by Infinity Ward, and so uh, Sledgehammer have been talking to Infinity Ward about how to actually answer some of those questions and how to you know roll on to to a sequel, and then Treyarch you've got working as well, so it actually sounds like you've got Treyarch, Infinity Ward, and uh, Sledgehammer oh, all yeah. had been in, uh, involved in this to make a bit uh, of a weird mashup game. I wouldn't even stop there. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Raven were involved in this, Beanops and Toys for Bot. Like, every, at some point in time, I'd imagine, like, uh, some, uh, almost every single Activision studio or subsidiary got asked for some kind of support on this because there's no way that a, that a fully fledged, full priced Call of Duty title comes together that quickly otherwise. Like, you think about what the Modern Warfare reboot was. There is, in my opinion, absolutely no way in hell the original plan was for Infinity Ward to make the original Modern Warfare 1, 2, and 3 and the rebooted Modern Warfare 1 and 2 and then just walk away and let <laughs> no. Sledgehammer pick up the reins. Like This was never the plan. They had to cobble this together. Um, and yeah, it's going to be fascinating to, see when, fascinating to see what we get and, and what it feels like. Whether it, I think it's going to feel feature-rich and content-complete because a lot of Call of Duty games do. And they're putting everything in there that you'd expect, but it's how they're getting to those places, how they're reaching those finishing lines that's interesting to me. Absolutely. Um, and it gets a little bit more interesting because, so you said about the 16 uh, Modern Warfare 2 maps, which have been uh, remastered or, or remade, you know, for this. They also talked about an open world zombies map, um, which is the first time they've gone open world with zombies. Um, we know uh, now as well that they're also talking about something called open combat missions, which is um, a mechanic whereby in some areas and some levels, rather than sort of follow a more linear path and happy, this is how you're going to interact with this at this uh, group of enemies. They're giving you the option to maybe you go stealth, maybe you go loud, maybe you use explosives, maybe you get vehicles involved, and they're sort of touting this as this is going to be an exciting um, new way to play um, Modern Warfare 3. And uh, that is how I took it on face value, Jamie. I just I just believed them when they said it. But I would like you to pop back on your tinfoil hat, <laughs> if you don't mind, for the folks at home, and just give us... Uh, the yeah the, the the little conspiracy theory that you had with regard to that aspect of the gear well i think what it comes down to is the fact that open combat missions and open world zombies or anything that encompasses the kind of the terminology or the ideas around an open world often go back to our slightly old-fashioned way of thinking about open worlds you know ingrained in us from the days of fucking Shenmue and GTA 3 which is that these are big and these are complicated and they're very systems heavy and lots of things have to be happening and lots of things rely on one another and so they're incredibly complicated to make but when you look at the way that Call of Duty as a series has traditionally handled larger open areas uh, it did a fair bit of this in Modern Warfare 2, not just in the campaign, where there were one or two missions that featured much larger land masses than we'd seen before, but also in the co-op missions, for anyone who played any of them, them, they're actually, dare I say it, simpler than the linear, more cinematic, story-driven missions than we traditionally see in Call of Duty, because those missions, they're defined by, you know, a certain pathing and scripting and certain moments and like needing to happen, uh, certain set pieces happening. Jonesy and I, you like we, you know, you and I were reminiscing about the original Modern Warfare trilogy and how you could go th through like 
you know, a mission would start with you fucking climbing up a sheer ice wall and then going into a, a, a camp in the middle of a snowstorm and having to use a heartbeat monitor and then escaping from the base on a snowmobile. Like, those were all things that had to be, like, scripted in quite tight, like, clever ways. Call of Duty's approach to open world or open combat missions appears to be put the player in a large map that could have been created for a number of reasons, whether it's tied to Warzone or whether it's tied to zombies and so on and so forth, and use the mechanics that we've used in other game modes, like is referenced in the Gamescom presentation today. They talked about like finding weapons in the environments in crates, uh, using armor plates to uh, you know to play up and and make yourself a little bit stronger, finding vehicles that you could drive around, uh, equipping kill streaks, like. At some point, we need to acknowledge that while these are new for the campaign, they're also all, for example, Warzone mechanics. And so now you're just talking about, are you putting the player in a big map, adopting the Warzone mechanics, and say, hey, you can get from A to B however you want. Well, like, like yes, that's true, but is that fun? Um, and and it, it is a kind of just a shortcut of them saying, well, this is the work we have done. These are the maps we do have. We can actually cut off one thing 16th of the slice of an upcoming Warzone map and call it a campaign level if you put the player in one corner and tell them to run to the other. If I was um, going to be... That's a cynical view, I'll admit, but yeah. In, in no ears, but we're just trying to cover it from multiple directions. Um, yeah, if, if I was going to be a knob, I would say in some respects, you almost get to the point where at its worst, it could feel like um, a level creator... Uh, that you're given where they say oh we've put an enemy in this base and now we've put uh, enemies spawn around the base and now you've got to try and get the, get to that enemies and we've called the enemy this and we've, this is the reason you're doing it um, go and do it and you think ah okay and yeah when you said it and, we, and said you know have they done this as a, as a new way of, of approaching some levels in Modern Warfare 3 or have they done it because they are hard up for time and they're using you're using assets which already exist it did kind of ring a few alarm bells in my head and said that does seem yeah. more likely um then on, when we actually saw the gameplay footage i think we both kind of had the same feeling which was this does not feel like what we've seen before we're talking about like impressive cinematic modern warfare like modern cod levels of, of a game to sort of show off and be like be wowed it seemed a little bit more like a yeah like an opening to uh, you know any old level. It didn't seem like something which was that particularly impressive. I was going to get the journalists talking about for the next three months about whether or not it was okay. Great example. Great example. Like, like what is Modern Warfare 3's equivalent of that Cannon House mission going to look like? Or you can roll the clocks back just 12 months and go to, I'm pretty sure it was Gamescom opening night live last year, and watch the Modern Warfare 2 equivalent of what we saw today. And you would see a lot more in terms of story, you would see a lot more in terms of character, in terms of um, uh, you know, uh, performance and sort of like performance capture and voice capture, um, like set pieces. I think like, the one they showed last time was the assault on the oil rig which was fairly get, like gameplay standard but then you realize that the bomb is um on the oil rig you're on and you have to very quickly leave and then you go to the other it's like a shipping thing where yeah. it's rocking and all the containers are sliding back and forth and you're like that's a big scripted set piece moment that we've kind of come to expect at least one of per mission in call of duty games because they are that's how they get away with being six hours long for as many years as they did because they are cinematic explosive globe trotting experiences and 
I, I, I like the idea that open combat missions give players a, an opportunity to have a bit of freedom of gameplay expression in almost like a Far Cry sort of sense. Like, hey, you know this is a camp full of enemies. You know you're going to kill them all, but we're not going to tell you how. Um, but I, I don't know if that promise is as engaging as just like the traditional Call of Duty campaigns that, and I, I might be in the minority here, but I never got bored of. Especially not when it came to the arc that the Modern Warfare series was on, which was very engaging up to a certain point. And the idea of having less, like, story-driven linear missions in this game, as we're hurtling towards the conclusion of the rebooted Modern Warfare series, is a bummer to me. Um, you can talk about how you bring Makarov back all you like, but you haven't really given us, us any idea. Like, but at this point last year, we were talking about the Sicario influences and how we knew we were yep. going into Mexico and how we were working with Mexican Special Forces and taking on the cartel and all this stuff. Um, and now we're just like... Makarov's back, and some of the missions are going to be open world. So it's funny we were, I think, last week or the week before, we talked about Modern Warfare Two, and we're sort of saying the strengths that game had, and, and for me, the, the strongest sections of that game were where they used the mechanics and the cinematics and the storytelling all together in concert to effectively, like, to create moments of tension, but still where you had that sort of like, like exactly like you say, the Sicario. Um, uh, section where you're sort of like clearing houses and you're checking for the enemy and you've got to and it's just it's wicked it's my favorite bit of the, you know that whole game and then you think of we were saying about as well the bit that goes a bit last of us where you've got nothing except a spoon and you've got to build some stupid explosives and it turns into a stealth game and it's boring as shit and i'm like no no i know what i like when i like call of duty is best and yes i think i agree with you the um that for me is not um uh attacking a, a objective in any way you want it's it is being a badass special forces getting in in a cool way using some cool kit and then getting out in explosions like an action movie and it yes it's 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 running through a brazilian favela as it falls around uh, falls apart mm. around you and jumping to cling onto a helicopter with you know with the last square inch that your foot could land on like you know you know that's how the modern warfare series made its name in campaign terms Obviously, even if the multiplayer became a bigger attraction, but ho hopefully, hopefully, we're reading too much into this for this uh, first look, and hopefully, it still has all of that. And may maybe you never know. Maybe like half the missions are absolutely fine, and half the missions are a little bit, uh, you know, they've tried to do in a quicker fashion because they were short on time. Yeah, but plus, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah, plus for as much as you and I are sat here, kind of like analysing the campaign, I still think that Modern Warfare Three will be considered a success largely based on the multiplayer because up bringing back and remastering the original model all of the original model warfare 2 maps is going to be a hugely popular move amongst the community because model warfare 2 is still revered as one of if not the best call of duty multiplayer experience of all time and also they're making a lot of changes to the multiplayer in mw3 over mw2 that people are broadly speaking very keen on they're bringing back slide cancelling they're bringing back red dots on the mini map uh, when uh, when players shoot, they're bringing back. Um, what's another example? Uh, oh, they're in, like they're increasing health uh, to one point five times what it was in Modern Warfare. So time to kill is a little bit more reasonable. Um, like they're doing a lot of things that the community has wanted or didn't like about the previous one. So it's kind of that's the other thing it's got going for it. And I've got a feeling that a lot of the conversation will just be dominated by like, hey, look how great this multiplayer is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then the campaign will effectively become 
secondary anyway, so who cares? <laughs> will be the opinion of most people. We uh, hate Jesse. We'll care. We'll, we will. Care. We'll, we'll we'll hold down the fort for the weirdos. We care. We will. Um, briefly mention uh, Sonic Frontiers expansion, uh, the Final Horizon. Um, was shown off briefly, which gives um, some new characters, new areas, and new story uh, to Sonic Frontiers. And we also had another trailer for Sonic Superstars as well, um, which still looks cool. Uh, I'm so excited for that, more so than I am for anything Sonic Frontiers related. Um, yes. But not, not much more to talk about that. Uh, Under the Waves, we didn't really get to see any more of this from Quantic Dream, but um, I think we both wanted to talk about it just because um, whenever I, we see this game, we're both quite excited about the prospect of um, what this could be, I think. Yeah. like I don't, I don't know. If I, when was the last time we saw it? Was it uh, a summer game fest or was it earlier than that? Um, I think it was game. Yeah, I think it was game fest, right? It could, doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah. And uh, well, I suppose it makes sense because it, it's out pretty soon, right? So, the, I mean, a, a week at the time of recording, which is kind of crazy to think. I, I, it's got a really uh, nice look, like especially the underwater sequences, both in and out of the submarine. Um, and I think the idea of like playing on the isolation of someone who has to spend a significant amount of time underwater and separated from what sounds like their family. You touched on the potential like uh, Firewatch uh, comparisons because there's a lot of uh, walkie-talkie or radio communication. Could be really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you've dubbed it Water Watch, so we will lovingly refer to it as Water Watch from now on, <laughs> and hope that it's definitely got a bit of that to it. Um, we wanted to quickly mention uh, Fort Solace, um, which uh, is the moon-trotting, um, very well-voiced uh, game from uh, Dear Villagers, which came out today. I think it did. Oh, no, uh, came out yesterday, maybe. Um, very recently, uh, because it's been absolutely trashed in reviews. Um which was kind of weird to have, you know, uh, Troy Baker and um, I can't remember the name of the other actors uh, on stage. Roger, Roger Clark was one of them. Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Two. Oh yeah, of course it was. And then, I can't remember the, the I can't remember the woman's name. Anyway, doesn't matter. I can't remember First either. video game I think for her. Um, yeah. Apparently, the voice acting is fantastic, um, as you would expect from three high, you know, high level actors. Uh, I, I think they said that it was ten devs who worked on this game, so it's quite a small team um, that they were talking about, which. Uh, again, like that's that's fine. Make a uh, story-driven game, but some of the comments that you were reading to me at the time when we were um, watching the trailer for this was oh, were quite yeah. Funny. Like some of them were like, "What was it? It was a it's a walking simulator with two broken hips." Um, yeah, exactly. Just um, bad all over. Um, yeah. Also, just again, I know ten people, a lot of different players to spin when you're re- making and releasing a game. But kind of a bit rough to have, to trot out the voice actors on stage at a show like this when they know that the game has been uh, like let's call it what it is trashed by critics. Like some of the reviews are scathing, and they're having to go out there and be like, "Hey, everyone, enjoy the launch trailer, and please buy our game." I suppose. I suppose at, the, at this point, it's like they've got to make the best of a bad situation and even though it's getting trashed I, we both had exactly the same reaction which was even though it has gone trashed uh we would both still play it because of the weight of the voice actors and because it's a story game you could probably just enjoy it for that if you wanted but we both said like we wouldn't pay full price for it <laughs> we would wait until it's on game pass or free or you know or heavily yeah. discounted um i think it would have to be free for me um <laughs> that sounds hard but 
hey, that's what it would take. And even then, it would be like, ah, how big is the install? <laughs> how big is the download? So I think at the moment, it's sitting on a 53 uh, for PC and 64 on Metacritic for PlayStation, which is, there, which is rough, man. That's seriously rough. But hey, yeah. Yeah. they can't all be winners, right? Um, we had a trailer for an Expeditions game, uh, a Mudrunner game, um, which the only reason we wanted to mention uh, because it looked fun looked like it was the vehicular version of Death Stranding uh, which was carefully picking your way through rough terrain and across rivers and things and trying to you know measure the depth and make sure you can make it across but look look cool from Saber Focus Entertainment looked great looked fun uh, looked enjoyable um, I th- you you said you played SnowRunner right and that you thought it- yeah well it came to Game Pass and I kind of tried it on the basis that you know, with my kind of like weird love of certain simulator games and of course Death Stranding, that I'd get something out of it. And it didn't really click for me, but then I also didn't give it like that big a look. Um I'm not sure whether or not they sort of change the environment. This almost looks like some kind of like Grand Canyon style kind of aesthetic going on in expeditions. I'm not sure if that will make a big difference to my potential um enjoyment of the game, but we'll see. We'll see. It it it's cool. And I know a lot of people get a kick out of it so uh i'm gonna say is this wits no i'm gonna say it because i feel like being cucked again um cd project red we're talking phantom liberty and i'm gonna say that my favorite announcement the best announcement the biggest announcement uh in the show was um the official announcement of update 2.0 for cyberpunk i have to jamie i've got the chair for crying out loud and I've never finished the game, yeah. so you know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the hit. Um, so we've obviously heard about Phantom Liberty before. Um, we've seen uh, what is his name? What's the actor? Idris Elba. Idris. We've seen Idris in all his glory. We've seen a bit more of uh, Johnny Silverhands. Um, and there was talk from people that have had got their hands on this that there is more going on than they've kind of let on in respect to this is like the expansion. The fact that, yeah, it's an expansion, but they've actually worked on a hell of a lot more than they're sort of revealing, that they're talking about. And it was a bit interesting because they hadn't come out officially and said, we've worked on the police, we've worked on this, we've worked on that. Um, They were sort of cagey, but they have now come out and officially done the reveal, haven't they? They've done the, this is 2.0. Yeah. I think it's telling that even in general, like you said, Phantom Liberty has got plenty of press over the recent uh, months, and we've seen plenty of trailers and and plenty of Idris Elba, as you mentioned. But yeah, I do think it's telling that we're now uh, less than a month away from all of this happening, and you can devote an entire you know five minutes of screen time at a big gaming show to a patch. Um, and, and, and I'm not like trying to use like. Like I'm not trying to downplay the size or the severity of what they're doing by calling it a batch or an update, but like, like that—that's what we're talking it about. Is. We're talking about, yeah, yeah, we're talking about an update to a three-year-old game that is going to be, you know, the most exciting thing of uh, you know of, of opening night live for some people, yourself included. And I think that's just a testament to the power that Cyberpunk still holds over a lot of people. Or the power of what the original, the power of the original promise of Cyberpunk still holds over a lot of people um it does so let me give you a quick rundown of uh what they've announced is included in the patch um and and in the expansion itself uh so a dangerous new district dozens of new story quests and gigs vehicle combat and mounted weaponry um which was revealed a revamped police system there's a combat ai overhaul 
Um, there are endless dynamic events and missions, redesigns of cyberware and perks pretty extensively, uh, all new relic skill tree and abilities, an increased level cap, and 100 new items in uh, like weapons, cyberware, fashion. Um, they've really, it did seem that they've effectively taken, um, they've sort of top to bottom have gone through and tried to improve across the board on a number of things. This is not to say this is going to be the cyberpunk that some people wanted, um, you know, that I don't think we'll ever get there, but it does seem that they is probably the best iteration of cyberpunk we're ever going to see um, yeah. in this patch. And it does feel like they've made a concerted effort to target what a lot of the more uh, pronounced shortcomings were of the original version of Cyberpunk. When you talk about uh, the skill tree, when you talk about the upgrade systems, when you talk about uh, like the lack of uh, vehicle combat and the associated sort of like police system, when you talk about like the, 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 these were the things that people were discussing at the time. These were the you know the the memes that people were making, the jokes that people were making. You know, police appearing out of thin air, being able to witness a crime from anywhere on planet Earth, and then like you know, <laughs> you know cops spawning at the top of a skyscraper that's got like a six by six foot space on it for them to spawn in. As soon as V turns their back to the space where they spawn in, um, like they're addressing a lot of those things. And it, here's my prediction, right? I think this is going to make Cyberpunk 2077 a better, more cohesive experience. I still think there are going to be people who reinstall Cyberpunk 2077 in September with this patch and go in expecting far more than they're going to get. They're going to go in and they're going to play the first hour and they go, I really feel like I'm playing the same game that I played in 2020 because to a to an overwhelming extent you will be. Um, but I, I think under the hood, things are just going to be a lot better, a lot more consistent, a lot more stable. Like That's the other thing about the Cyberpunk story that we can't forget, is that the reason we're just now talking about the content patches like this years on is because of how many patches they did that were the, for the sake of stability and bug mm. fixing and so on. They had so much to get through. They probably will still have work to do after Phantom Liberty drops. And so I think there's going to be an, in an interesting reaction. And I do think some people are going to go out there and be like, it's the same fucking game, but it's the people who have a deeper understanding and experienced a deeper lack of fulfillment with some of the systems level problems that Cyberpunk 2077 had that are going to notice the improvements and notice the changes. Not people who are like, well, why can't I play in third person? And like, like, and like there were a lot of people who just had completely misaligned and, and, you know, overly ambitious uh, hopes for what Cyberpunk could be, as you alluded to. Those people aren't going to be satisfied by this, but I think a lot of people still will be. I, I'm hoping I'm one of the people who will be. Like, I stopped playing... I think I stopped playing on PC when I had uh, a horrific bug that just was like... Yeah, like, un unnoticeable. Just completely took me out of the game and was I was like, okay, this is really bad. Then I started playing again, and on PlayStation... And it was, it was, I had the same bugs I had the first time around on PC, but it was, it wasn't any, it was no better. It was just like different. Like, and things were just uh, un, not as not enjoyable particularly, but there was, it was already after a few patches. So it was already a bit more stable, a bit better. Um, I think some of the issues I had, had reduced. Um, but then I decided to wait. Um, I said, you know, I'm yeah. wait until the like, big patch comes out. Um, that that, that I was gonna say that that's smart, and I think that you're well, the lucky thing for someone like you is you're still going to be able to go in and play most of Cyberpunk for the first time because you never saw it the first time around. 
But I think what you're going to look at is if you break down the comp core components of what's actually being talked about here, yes, you might you know drive a new car or use a new weapon, or yes, you might accidentally run over a pedestrian and experience the new um, the new you know the revamped police system. Um, but like when you load up your Cyberpunk 2077 save, not you personally, but you and like people out there, and decide to pick up where they left off, they're still going to walk out into the same night city. You know, yep. with the you know with the same pedestrian system, the same degree of interactivity, the same amount of side content, they're still going to get into in most cases the same cars. They're going to drive to the same objective markers. They're going to have the same conversations, have the same dialogue choices. They're going to have they're going to do the same missions. It is Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, and nothing at this point will change that. But if you're excited by what they're talking about with this update, then I hope you know people get what they want out of it. I, I just hope I can save my neighbour this time because I started the game oh, right. twice yeah. and he died twice. <laughs> and I was I like... I can't remember what happened to my neighbour. The second time I was like, I'm going to save him. I won't let him die this time. And I, I did. I let him die. There's some fucking gnarly side quests in that game that I actually kind of... I actually really want to do again. There's I, six yes. in that game. There, there is. I saw only... Uh, full disclosure, I only played about 10 hours of it. But in that 10 hours, I got to see some wicked side content that I absolutely loved and some of it in genuinely with the, getting rid of some of those bugs so some of like the psycho missions where you, um, they go the people go crazy and you've got to take them down or you've got to um, uh, you know get them or disable them or whatever they just bugged out for me and um, I ended up having one just like just completely glitched out and I could and I ended up cheesing it because um, I think she got stuck in a wall or something and there's no way that I should have been able to take her out. She should have like killed me easily. But I just stood for about 10 minutes shooting her in the face because she couldn't shoot me back. Uh, and it was like, right. oh, I guess this isn't supposed to happen like this. And But then I did the one where I found the guy in, the, in you know, I found a dude uh, in a dilapidated apartment and he was telling me about how awful it was and he shot himself in the face. And I was like, yeah. holy shit, this game is intense. And like I said, my neighbor killed himself as well. And I was like, oh, I will save you. And I started a new game, died again. And this this time, Jamie, anyway, let's move All on. All reasons to play it. Well, there are more reasons to play it. From a game where I'm going to try and save people to a game where I'm definitely not, Mortal Kombat 1. Um, we got to see a little bit more uh, from Mortal Kombat 1. We got to see some uh, Liu Kang's greatest warrior, Earth's greatest fighter, Raiden, looking young and fresh-faced. Uh, kicking the shit out of I don't know who was fighting I must admit I'm not that au fait with Mortal Kombat I don't know. it was a I demon dude and some crazy Which, witch lady Shao Kahn was in there a fair bit right and he, yeah. he looks like a monster guy with horns now um, that's the one I think I don't know who I was talking about yeah and it, it looks enjoy it, it continues to look very cool and I've continued to intrigue be intrigued be, I continue to be intrigued to see the directions they take this kind of like rebooted story and all the different opportunities that kind of have to play with our expectations around some characters. Although, and I don't know if this is where you also draw the line, Jonesy, I continue to have an issue with the fact that I am not good and very often can't get more than two out hours out of fighting games. Yes, I'm rubbish, but I really, I want to be good, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, so that's where I'm yep. at. I... Love the idea, though, of getting my hands on this just to play as Homelander a couple of times, which I think a lot of people might have the same feeling as that, because I think that would be fun. Like, just ridiculously yeah. fun. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be a fun DLC. I'm looking forward to seeing the fatalities of some of those DLC characters, for sure. I mean, it's got, it's got to be, what, doesn't it, at the end of the boys, he just like laser eyes through someone's head or something? 
Oh, she's got to do he, that. He does, a, he does some laser eyes. I haven't seen season three of The Boys, so if it's from that, I don't know. But uh, even in season one or two, he does some laser eyes stuff, I think. But yeah, no, more to see of Mortal Kombat. Um, we, yeah, they mostly stuck to those three characters. Like, we didn't really get to see much else, did we, apart from them? Uh, apart, I think. Yeah, well, that's how they've been doing their trailers up to this point, is they've been kind of, like, grouping two, three, four characters together and kind of having... Uh, each trailer sort of like trailer after trailer devoted to um uh to sort of like groups of them and solely revealing the whole roster and then also kind of like teasing some cameo characters and fatalities and things like that along the way so yeah there was kind of like in keeping with what the rollout of mk stuff has been so far but um yeah no it looks good look, looks cool so there we go got to see some cool fatalities um diablo 4 season of blood jb season two uh, is going to be coming. Um, oh, I don't think I didn't actually catch when they said it was coming. Is it autumn? So you know, a couple of months, maybe. It's October. Um, October, because Rod Ferguson was keen to remind people uh, that although they were there promoting Season of Blood, that you could join in the current season right now and become a new Diablo fan if you want to. Uh, you can indeed, but if you don't want to do that and <laughs> you just want to wait for Seasons of Blood, because I don't know anything about the current season. Um, you can wait for Season of Blood where you can have vampire powers. You basically be a daywalker where you can kick the crap out of a big vampire lord and Gemma-chan will be your um, vampire buddy styled as Eris, apparently. Um, yeah. Not going to play it. Um, I haven't played it yet. Not going to pick it up. So <laughs> I own Diablo 4, um, but considering I haven't played any of the current season, I don't know what the likelihood of, is of me playing any of Season of Blood, but we'll wait and see. Gemma Chan could convince me. Yeah, to be fair, yeah. There you go. Um, I wanted to, okay, I wanted to mention this one just because this is my prediction for a game which is going to kick off online with like the little political groups having a massive fight on arguing because I've, mm -hmm. I just called this Politics the Game. So this is one, cool art style, looks like a fun game, Got to see some melee combat. This is Dustborn um, talking about. Uh, but it just opened up with like a weird thing where you had a group of people in a car talking about how words are violence and words are, you know, words have meaning and da 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 da, da. And then it's like kicking the shit out of people. And I'm like, this is an interesting game. This is someone who wants to rile up a political argument about stuff. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. I can't do his voice very well, but I can imagine Jordan Peterson already saying. Uh, um, Get your bloody life together. Thank you. Stop sitting in your bedroom playing this video game and get your bloody life together. Um, so, yeah, I imagine there's going to be a bit of that when the, when that drops. Uh, then, Jamie, game of the show. And it wasn't even the game last game. of the show. Nope. We didn't need the, the last game, to be honest. Sam Lake could have stayed um, in Finland or wherever the fuck he flew in from because we had, thank goodness you're here. Which looked wicked. Like, I don't even know what it was, but it looked wicked. And it had that little song in it about like I, I've heard it before, but I can't. Even, I don't know the words to it. Like you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink, you drink. little plinky plunky uh, singy song with some nice, a nice art style. The only thing I can yeah. think to say is a little bit Cuphead, but not really Cuphead at all. I think it's well, just. I, I was reading a thing that when I was trying, when we were trying to find out what more about this hit, and we learned that it was a self-described slap former which is the best um, hybrid genre I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I did see one person describe the look as being partly inspired by uh, the Beano comics, okay. which 
um, you can see a little bit of, but it's a it's a very charming art style with some vignettes and levels that both I think for both of us reminded us of Untitled Goose Game. Weirdly enough, with this yep. small character seeming to, to like run around these kind of like very normal looking environments, like everyday environments or everyday scenarios, but I guess causing havoc or being a nuisance of some kind. I don't know. Um, it, it just looks really charming and sort of like quintessentially British in a, in, in a lot of different ways that I liked with a really fun um, soundtrack and it's set in a fictional town called Barnsworth. Um, it's it, it's everything I wanted. Oh, shout out to Al Ashley in the chat. He said the song's called Lily the Pink. There you go. I've heard that knowledge. Yeah, I'm going to have to like look, look that up because I've heard it before, but I don't know where it's from. I don't know if it's like a... Um, like a uh, like a shot like a something that people sing in like a pub context or whether it's just a song that I've just heard it's really it was, I heard it I was like okay I don't know where this is from but I've definitely heard this before um, yeah no I agree with you it was it was one that I was not expecting and was a uh, a nice addition to the show because up to that point it was a little bit um, it was fine but as we said it wasn't it wasn't amazing it wasn't like blow you away and to have this slide in was was actually really nice. Yeah, well, it's because I think sometimes I worry that when we react to shows like this in a kind of like, not necessarily a ne negative way, but even any kind of like a sort of like a neutral way, that we're being ungrateful and that we're actually being shown updates and trailers from really cool games, we should be more excited. And that actually, like, it, and it, I think I'm glad that games like this come along because they dispel this myth or this idea that you and I are sitting around waiting for a GTA 6 or a Minecraft 2. The reality is sometimes we just want to see new, interesting, out there stuff. And the kind of trailers where you, you don't even have to know what the fuck you're seeing or who the fuck is from. They make you sit up in your chair and go, what's this? Mm. And those are the, oh, my favorite parts of these kinds of shows. It was a little bit lacking tonight, which is a shame. But I think that's what made something like Thank Goodness You're Here stand out. It's because there was nothing else in that two hours that was quite like it. And I don't have to know... You know who who the developer is, who the publisher is, when it's coming out, how much it cost. I'm just like I'm going to remember the name of that game now um, because that made me sit up in my chair. I listed it here as we as you said at the time. I listed it um, in our doc as "Thank goodness you're here." Game of the show. So there yeah. you go, game of the show. Uh, we finished off opening night live with um, Alan Wake two. Sam Leg was on stage to int introduce the fact uh that we have not actually seen alan yet in in alan wake 2 we've seen some of the other character can't remember her name um and the game looks fantastic saga saga saga, saga. i was gonna say arga that's all right saga that is a saga arga would be a weird name which is like a cooker I, it's an arga yeah let's say it's a, like an, always, one of those always on cookers yes i I, bur I, I burnt my school jumper in an arga once uh, like okay i think well, you told me this before because like you yeah Either you put it well, there to warm it up, or you didn't. You just put it on top of the arga, and then when you get back, it was burnt. Well, it was so. So for people that don't know, if you imagine an, you have an oven, right, and you have hobs on the top, they could be gas or they could be electric or whatever. But you have to you have to switch them on, and you turn on the hobs or the heaters or whatever the fuck you want to call them, and you put like a pan on top. But argas, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Josie, because you must know more about this shit than me, are like ovens, really old ovens that are always on. Um, I think an Arga is, is almost like they used to have it when it would also heat the house. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So it's like a cross um, between the fire and the oven. And then, yeah. Like, yeah, I think they would they would almost have a chimney above them, right? Because they'd probably be coal powered as well. Or, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, very possibly. I know my neighbor's got one. 
my and across the road neighbor's got one. You don't need to. You don't turn it on or off or like turn it up. To no, it's just on. Right? You don't it's just it's choose on. between convection or whatever. You just open the door and it's hot inside, and you put and it cooks things. But the same applies to what would be the hobs or the heaters on the top. And so what augers do because they have this always burning hot ring of fire heat like <laughs> yeah it's it's basically really hot metal there's no flame um but obviously because that's really dangerous they they put covers on the top with hinges so you like it's all always covered up all the time and you can't actually put your hands on a burning hot heater that's on 24 7 and i came to home from school one day and i took my jumper off and i lifted up the lid and so i was looking at a like a burning hot piece of metal and i was just thought i thought what would happen if i put my jumper in here and i put my jumper in there and shut it down and my mum noticed what was going on and stopped me and my jumper had gone black and crispy <laughs> love it <laughs> let's just let that marinate okay yeah yeah no that, i love that it was on purpose as well i wonder what would happen if i put my polyester jumper in this roasting hot agar if hey if it was cotton maybe it'd be fine maybe it was cotton it's just a really hot agar i i don't know it was a school jumper Maybe it was wet. I, I don't really know what I was thinking, but experiment, you know, it was a success in some respects because I was able to draw and reach a, a scientific conclusion. There you go. This is a scientific method in, in practice. Well done, Jamie. Um, going back to Alan Wake, though. Um, yes, we got to see uh, not Alan, not Arga or Saga, um, but Alan uh, this time. Um, he's in a nightmare version of New York, which is... Uh, uh, the sort of setting he's in with the dark. Do they call it the dark place? I think they call it the dark place. No. Um, it was a bit of a weird trailer though because they did say there's quite a lot of sort of like integration of live action and game uh, game footage, um, which they definitely showed off, uh, which I wasn't quite yeah. expecting. Um, but after the very good looking stuff that we've seen in the real world with Saga, um, yeah, it was cool to see some more of that spooky uh, dark place where Alan has been residing for the last 13 years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just thought it was also cool, like when you think about what worked so well about Control, it was that there was this kind of, the, this tension and atmosphere that was pervasive through a lot of it. And there were these big, I don't know whether you'd call them set pieces, but these big moments where like lots of other, lots of different elements and light with lighting and audio and, and even in Control elements sometimes of live action uh, integration would all kind of come to a head at once. And they're teasing some of that in Alan Wake and it really does look like, a pretty tense assault on the senses at times, which, you know, combined with the hopefully quite solid third-person action-adventure gameplay that they teased last time, as you mentioned, which we saw some actual just raw in-engine gameplay, which there was less of this time. Um, you know, it's t it looks like it's t like got the potential to be something really cool. We saw, you know, a, a, a live-action Alan Wake going on a talk show, being interviewed, of obviously, as an author about a book that they had yet to write, um, like lots of cool little uh, things like that. Um, and also, um, I need to go back and listen to it again, but direct reference to Alan Wake's Doppelganger, which is mm -hmm. a an extremely Twin Peaks idea that has n is now a part of uh, Alan Wake. Um, and again, seeing how that how they kind of play those ideas again without going to Twin Peaks of like there being Alan Wake and Alan Wake's Doppelganger, and maybe one of them stuck inside the dark place, and one of them's up on you know the real world with saga and like the, the potential to get it's already very lynchian i just wonder how close they'll get to, to twin peaks on that on that journey 
I hope they get close, but I think we both had the same thought as we were watching it, which was, and I think you actually said it, which was, I just hope it's not too scary because it looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But there was definitely some bits there where it's like, oh God, don't make it terrifying. Just make it. I don't, I don't know the word. Te yeah, tense. Just make it tense. Don't make it terrifying. Make it tense. So let's hope. Sure. Atmospheric. Yeah, yes, very atmospheric, lots, very tense, um, a bit of peril, but just don't make it too mm. scary. Yeah, enjoy, that's a good point. I can handle peril. Um, well, then that takes us to the end of uh, Gamescom opening night live. Um, we do have a couple more of news stories that we're going to mention. Um, if we've got time. Have we got time? I was going to say, we, all, we also didn't do a catch We've got time, but we also didn't do a catch up. I was going to do that now. Oh, okay. I'll leave it up to you. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to do or not do, I am going to follow your lead. Okay. Well, uh, what I would like to do first is do a catch up uh, before we talk about any other news stories that we do or do not have time for. I'll decide as we're talking. Um, because Jamie, you've played. Yeah, I've played it. You've played it. Um, and I don't want to hear about it. I've played it again. Um, uh, we're talking about Red Dead Redemption, which of course was uh, re-released post conversion to, um, I guess, quasi-modern platforms in the form of the PlayStation 4 and the Nintendo Switch. Um, I technically played the former version, albeit via backwards compatibility on the PlayStation 5. And and wouldn't you know, it's it's exactly um, uh, what we thought it was going to be. There are a few kind of uh, additions and improvements that have been made along the way, but generally speaking, Rockstar have strived to make sure that there is some parity with the backwards compatible version that is available on Xbox platforms. That means that this runs at um, a native 4K at a locked 30 frames per second on both these, uh, uh, both well, on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation PlayStation 4 Pro, Pro and PS5. It's also locked at 30 on the Nintendo Switch. Although through um, custom firmware and hacked hardware, we have already been able to tell that even on the Switch, the game is capable of running at 60. But Rockstar have elected for whatever reason not to enable that or not to disable the frame rate limits or however you want to phrase it. They haven't gone into that territory. I don't really want to indulge too much into whether or not Rockstar have done right or wrong in this process. Um, I think we, we covered enough of that in recent weeks as the details about this re-release or this conversion became clear. Um, the, the price is still excessive, obviously $50. It's £40 ended up being in the UK. It's it's too much for what this is, which is pretty much just an excuse to play this game again. All I would say is that it is still, in my opinion, a very good game. Um, and as someone who has played a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2 in the last uh, five years or so, it was actually kind of, and I don't mean this in like a critical way of Red Dead Redemption 2 at all. I think they both stay in their own lanes in an interesting way, but it was kind of refreshing playing the first Red Dead again and being like, oh, I don't have to like, like worry about diffusing a situation if I accidentally aim at someone and I don't need to make <laughs> sure that I've made my horse clean and given it a fucking rice cake. And I don't need to worry about if this pelt is going to rot if I leave it on my horse for too long or like a lot of the things that made Red Dead Redemption 2 a very um, detailed and immersive experience aren't present in Red Dead Redemption, but that conversely makes Red Dead Redemption this kind of almost arcadey, quite pure experience that feels like a throwback to like the Rockstar games of yore where you load into the game um, and you're like, right, which big block capital letter on the map should I go to first? 
I'm going to go to the S and I'm going to do that mission and that's going to be that. And I don't need to worry about selling the wolf pelt to put money in the tinderbox at the camp. And I don't need to worry about how much my beard has grown today or, or, or like, or, you know, you, you understand what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so that's kind of cool. Um, so shout out Red Dead Redemption, uh, are still a surprisingly good game, uh, even by today's standards. And I'm also looking forward to getting into Undead Nightmare for the same reason. Um, it's funny because um, yeah. I think the things we talked about last week with how well Baldur's Gate was doing and some of the critics saying oh now every game is going to need to be as good as that and should we expect it I think you're, you, what you've just highlighted talking about Red Dead is the fact that sometimes it's nice to not have to worry about you know every aspect of every game not every game has to be all things to all people they can just be what they're intended to be yeah, yeah absolutely and I'm not going to pretend that nostalgia hasn't played a part in that like i'm not going to pretend that every open world action game from 2010 will age as gracefully if i were to go back and play it now and talk better on this podcast but for as long as we're talking about red dead and for as long as it has a special place in my heart i'm going to enjoy playing it that's why i was the weirdo who bought it you don't have to be and that's fine um that's yeah that's the way the world works and that's, that's what's great about freedom right indeed right Jersey? um the other thing I wanted to give a shout out to is um, Across the Spider-Verse, I've got to get my names right, Across the Spider-Verse uh, came out on digital, I believe in the past week or so. I totally missed it when, uh, when, I, when it was in the cinema, which was a shame because I thought that Into the Spider-Verse was one of the most um, unique and engaging and eye-catching and funny, like not just superhero films, but animated films in general that I'd seen in many, many years. Um, I actually rewatched Into the Spider-Verse and then watched Across the Spider-Verse all in the past week. And I think both individually and as a pair, obviously awaiting, eagerly now awaiting the third entry, hopefully in the next year or two, um, they both like stand as just an absolute tour de force in high quality, like benchmark setting animation. Um, the quality the variety uh it, it's just it's one of those films where you can watch a single scene or even watch a, the way a single character is animated and i sit there as someone who has worked you know in and around creative industries my whole life from film and tv to digital media and gaming and i'm like i don't know how i don't know how they did that or how they found the time to do that or how they found the money to do that and they did that a hundred times over in one film um and on top of all of that, it is still charming and endearing and sharply written and laugh out loud funny. Um, and like as someone who is like totally jaded by the some of the directions that the, the MCU, for example, went post Endgame, I just this was a breath of fresh air and like reminded me that I'm never allowed to say that I'm not a fan of superhero movies anymore because those two films are evidence of the fact that clearly I am. I, I, I loved them. And when I, when I realized... I think it's sort of when I realized that I would have to wait for a third film to kind of see out the story arcs they're 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 playing with. I was like, I was bummed. I was like, man, I don't want to. <laughs> I want that. Don't wait. Yeah, um, really awesome. Uh, I still need I know to see that's it. Not a hot take, but yeah, really awesome. I still need to see it. Um, Into the Spider Verse is one of the ones that <clears throat> when I'm on a weekend, and my kids are like, "Oh, we don't know what to watch, what to do." Blah, blah. I'm like, "Watch Into the Spider Verse again." And my little yeah. one goes, yeah. And my older one goes, nah. And I'm like, no, 
anyway. Bye-bye. No. Uh, yeah. Um, it, it's really good. It's it's a bit longer. It's two and a half hours long, and I think that contributes to a slightly slower start. Like, there's right. there's there's... There's this like f- there's this feeling in Into the Spider Verse where everything is just moving at a million miles per hour. You're just mm. you feel like you're just about keeping up with it as like it, it goes and goes and goes and all these elements get introduced. And then it's weird that when you start across the Spider Verse, it's like actually we're going to go a little bit slow and we're going to put down the foundations of where everything's going to go. And then it speeds up to a million miles an hour, and you're like, God, this is breakneck. Can I keep up? And eventually, it kind of finds this really nice rhythm by about the halfway point that I was very much on board with. But yeah. A lot of really cool ideas. Like again, like if Into the Spider Verse was very much about that idea of like, can anyone be Spider Man? And is it just a name? And is it just a mask? And like, you know, what makes a hero? And so on and so forth. Across the Spider Verse, then moves into other more interesting um, uh, directions about kind of like fate and destiny, destiny, and the extent to which you have to walk a certain path to be the person that you're meant to be, um, and free will and. Yeah, a lot of really interesting ideas explored and and mostly done very well. Nice. A, uh, a ringing endorsement, as they say. A ring-a-ding-ding, baby. Definitely to catch it. Um, I'll be very brief and just say I've been playing a bit of Broforce forever <laughs> this mm. week. Uh, a new update. Yeah, purely because there was an update, there's some new characters, and there's a few new levels. <clears throat> um, yeah, nothing... Nothing majorly massive going on, but I I just I saw the update was available and I was like, Do you know what? I need a little bit more bro. bro. Need Who doesn't bro. need more bro in their life? Did you get to play as any of the new characters? Uh I did. Uh I, oh god, but I can't even remember now which ones I got to play with that I had to play before. Uh was GR who I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm no, I mean I'm trying to think if they were new characters, if they're old characters, now I can't remember. It's been so long since I played the game. I was like, did I have I played as a new character? I'm pretty sure I have, but off the top of my head, I can't remember who the new characters are. I mean that that roster is so massive now. I, I don't even know how you're meant to keep up with. Because I start, I started it. the game again as well, so I have, I'm I'm reunlocking every character, which is pretty cool. Um, it looks like um, Broforce Forever added Zebro, which is Xena from Xena yes, Warrior Princess. Have played as her. De- Demolition Bro, which is John Spartan. Yeah, okay. I've played as all of them. Yeah, I've played as him. Um, and Bert Bromer from Tremors. Yes. Seth Brondel from The Fly. Yeah. No, Brophy, I know. The Vampire I have, Slayer. I have played as Brophy. I've not played as Brundlefly, whatever it's called. Bro. Seth Bro- Seth Brondel, uh, as a rather than Seth Brundel from The Fly. And the I final have, one was Desperabro. Have played as, have played as Desperabro. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. So it, it seems like. You get relatively immediate access to the new bros um, so when you, you start playing the update. You no, know, I don't think you do. Oh, okay. the, the difference was I'd already completed the game, and the first uh, I, uh. I jumped back into my completed game, and so the only bros that I hadn't unlocked, it unlocked them all really quickly. I then subsequently started a new game, and now I'm unlocking all of that. I have to unlock all of the bros again because I'm in a completely new campaign, and I haven't in the new game. I haven't unlocked any of the new ones. Uh, which is interesting. Okay, but they also have these new um, like side missions where you can go and unlock uh, like vitamins, which are is like says steroids on it, and it just has a sticker over that says nice. vitamins, which slows down time when you get it. There's an ammo crate thing that you can unlock, um, and there's one more, but I can't remember what it is. Um, but yeah, no, that game's just a lot of fun. Uh, it was fun to see what the creators said. They spent more time to making the update than they did on the whole original game because they were wow, like, oh really. I think the reason being that once you've made the game, you just don't have the 
you know, you just the, you know, the time frame is not the same. You're probably dragging your feet a little bit and doing whatever. But yeah. hey, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, 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 a, it's a cool game. I mean, I'm looking at the list of even just the core characters now that because obviously they kept patching the game since you and I were playing it for the very first time. Because I remember this was a game we played in the office yeah. back in, you know, 2012, 2013. And like seeing new characters that were added in, you know, 2015, 2016 and be like, oh, like I never got to play as um, Dirty Brewery. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Dirty Harry. Or, yeah, or Bro Lee. I think uh, I played as Bro Lee before. Leon the Professional. So Professional, I hadn't played as before, but I've played as him now. And also Indiana Brones, I think I hadn't played as, and now I have. Indiana Brones, right. They, they, yeah. do, they do such, they do really do fun things with like those characters. And it's such a simple game that you'd think that there's not a lot to do, but they do have a lot of fun with it. Um, but I'm playing on hard as well, which is, oh my goodness. I haven't played such a frustrating game in like a long time, where one hit from any enemy can kill you. Um, and especially on the levels where you've got one life, it's frustrating as shit. Um, yeah I oh, bet you know sounds like you're a clown for punishment I think I might I think I must be uh, alright one more story oh, to go I, I also just want to say that I, I shout out I've just seen, I was looking at the portraits of the characters <laughs> that I just found out that Broden which is based on Lord Raiden from Mortal Kombat oh yeah his, his, his appearance is based on the Mortal Kombat film oh uh, uh, where he's played by that guy the Christopher Lambert yes the French guy yeah the best, yeah. the best iteration of, of Raiden. Absolutely. Where he does the last. Sorry, Jonesy, I interrupted your <sighs> news. Uh, no, it's all right. Um, I was going to just say, uh, we'll do one last news story, just because it's a very quick one. Um, just to say uh, that Charles Martinet has officially um, stepped down or stepped back as the voice of the Mario video game character um, and the other characters that he also voices. In that series, uh, Nintendo announced recently that after since um, uh, what was it, twenty three years, I think, since Mario sixty four, he's been voicing the character in the games, but he will no longer be doing so, and will now be um, a an ambassador, and will still be getting around the world representing Nintendo and Mario. Um, but yeah, he's not going to do the, the voices anymore. A little bit close to my heart. Anyone who follows us on Twitter may have seen that I did, in fact, post a, a picture of me from 15, 16 years ago when I got to interview um, Charles Martinet. And I said before, one of my favorite ever moments because he thought the recorder I had, which was there just to record the interview, was going to be used to go live. And so he did shitloads of impressions of Mario characters and it was awesome. So I got to sit on a sofa with him Man. as he spoke like Wario and Mario and Luigi and I don't even know who else he does. Um, yeah, very cool. That's like fucking gold dust now that he's retired. Now that you know the, the genie is back inside the lamp or the bottle, like the fact that you can say in perpetuity now for the rest of time to your kids and your grandkids and whoever that you met Charles Martinet and that he did the voices in front of you in your midst, like that's a that's a pretty iconic video game thing to have experienced in person. It was it was it was wicked. What's funny is because when I actually looked up how long he'd been doing it and it was like twenty three years. Um, I realized that I met him in 2007. So he'd only been doing it for uh, like 10 years at that point. Yeah, a decade, yeah. Which is weird. And in the picture that I have me with it, I look so fucking young, which makes me sad. But he looks fantastic because he is. So. You both look fantastic and he still sounded fantastic. But I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that he continues to have a role to play in the, 
the larger kind of like Mario universe. And I also think that for as much as he uh, and his performances um, are and will continue to be iconic and sort of like created a part of what made Mario so special, it's also kind of one of those things. And I'm not trying to downplay any of the work that Charles did. It's it's spectacular. But like at this point, you can put out an APB. And of the billions of people on planet Earth, someone out there will sound exactly like him and be able to do like a pitch perfect version of that Mario. And it will always be that. It will always be an interpretation of the 20 plus years of work that Charles put into it. But as we learned from the um, Super Mario Bros. Wonder trailer, like there are people out there who can sound convincing like, convincingly like Mario, and most of us won't notice, which is, I guess, but not Chris the other. Not Chris Pratt. Well, to be fair, but he, he would argue that he didn't try. But I think we would then <laughs> argue, in turn, we're glad he didn't. Yeah. I was, I just looked up how old Charles Martinet was, because I thought, maybe he's really old. He's not even that old. He's 67. He's just had enough. <laughs> I wonder if he's had yeah. enough or whether Nintendo were like, we're going we're gonna to he, get he's, he's reached, a, am sure, what is a globally accepted uh, retirement age, to some degree. Maybe he just said to Shigeru, like, I'm done, brother. Like, I'm out. Oh, uh- You've you've actually you've reminded me of something which I was going to mention. Uh, in case there are any mega fans out there of Mario and Nintendo in general, um, don't have to be a mega fan. You should be a fan because I I'd be keen to see this as well just for fun. Um, Nintendo have actually said on their Twitter, please keep an eye out for a special video message from Shigeru Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto and Charles himself, which will we will post uh, at a future date. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad that he's getting um, a nice send-off and not, it's not just one of those things where a new game comes out, someone notices that it's not his voice, and then Nintendo quietly go, oh yeah, he was replaced. Which oh, has happened before with iconic video game characters. It has, and that would suck. Like, majorly suck if that was the case. Um, yeah. Or if he had to oh, make a post yeah. saying, I only, got, I only get paid £100 uh, this isn't fair. Not even, not even a post, a hostage negotiation style video post. <laughs> yeah, sorry, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then Miyamoto replaces an update saying, "Look, I'm, Charles did a great job, but Kiefer Sutherland only gets becomes available every once in a while, and we had to get him in to say seven words." Who would be the worst person they could hire to be Mario that you'd be furious if they didn't even try and do the Mario voice? It was just them. Like if oh they hired God. Nicolas Cage to be like, uh, it's me, it's Mario. She'd be like, I think I'd I'd have to go for um I think Jordan Peterson would make a really interesting <laughs> Mario. It's like, how did you fall down that hole? Get your bloody life together. But he he already sounds a bit like Kermit the Frog, so I think he'd be alright, because he's a bit cartoony uh, anyway. A bit sing songy. Pull your socks up and get your bloody life together. Kiefer would be like, terrible. Kiefer would be awful. As you just mentioned, Kiefer would, uh, Kiefer would be awful not just because he doesn't like sound good. Oh, yeah, actually, to be fair, Kiefer has a great voice when he uses it well. The problem was, like, he could have been a good fit for Solid Snake were it not a complete, or Snake in general, were it not a complete, you know, middle finger to David Hayter and the work that he'd done. It was just the fact that, like, he came for one Metal Gear game and said about three things. Like, he has no lines in that game. I, 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 I know Snake was definitely that's that's a good that's a good question what was the point but if phone booth taught us anything it's that when Kiefer puts his voice to good use we get good stuff out of it 
And so, true. and so that's that's actually my vote for the new Mario. It's Kiefer Sutherland as the bad guy from Phone Booth as Mario in Super Mario Bros. Wonder. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, classic Edge saying uh, you're really stuck on Jordan Peterson today. Do you know what? I'll tell you what it is. When you, realize, when you realize you could do a half-decent impression of someone, it's really hard to stop. <laughs> you just well, keep- no. You've got me totally mistaken, Josie. I'm ke- I'm still doing it because I don't think I can do a half decent impression. Oh, I think you do all right. I, I just like that he's got this weird, like bastardized Canadian accident accent. The way he still says the word bloody all the time. Get your bloody life together. Is that bastardized? Is that not just Canadian? I I, I don't don't. I've been severely ill for many years. Mm-hmm. I've suffered from depression. But then I got my bloody life together. Right. Maybe he does just say bloody a lot. There you go. Maybe Canadians do. Any Canadians out there, let us know if you say bloody a a lot. It's a JP thing. It might be. It might very well be. Um, But with that, bombshell. Uh, Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Jamie, um, for being here. Um, And we hope you you, um, enjoyed our little rundown of Gamescom. Opening night live. Uh, Let us know in the comments what your uh, favourite was, what the... Not reveal, but you know what your favorite trailer was. Maybe it was a reveal. There was three of them in there that I can remember. Um, and uh, yeah, drop us a comment on Twitter if you want. Drop us a DM. Send us a. I don't even know. Go to Discord. Join for two dollars with our Patreon, and then you can leave us a message on there as well. Uh, yeah, cheers everybody. Thank you everyone in the chat for uh, chatting away. Appreciate it. Um, love having you guys here. It is wicked. Uh, and with that, we will see you um, next week. Cheers, everybody. Bye, folks. Bye.